in Colombia, you have to walk up and shake hands with the song leader before you're allowed to speak. So I was a little disappointed, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate the start of this service so much. I, I'm tempted to just sing with you all for an hour, but we have something to do. That reading reminded me, I had a flashback of a scene in uh, Colombia. We were in the red zone. If you're not familiar with that, that's an area that is largely controlled by the uh, paramilitary organizations, the guerrillas, if you will. And uh, we met under a little thatch roof shelter on the side of a home that was more or less a shack. And on the shed out back was painted in Spanish, uh, no weapon that's raised against us can stand. Gives me chills to say that word every time I say it because uh, I'm not sure I would have the nerve to paint that on my property if I lived in that place. But there's some really brave people. Now, that'll mean more to you as we go along. Let me get set up here to change the pictures. There were many reasons not to go this time. Um, I guess you know some of them already, don't you? We had the pandemic going on. Everything was pretty much shut down. Travel was difficult. Getting into other countries was difficult. People couldn't go with you. I, people that normally would go with me uh, didn't have their shots. Various things going on. And there just hadn't been any travel there in quite a while. So it, it was a problem. I actually ended up going alone. This is my fifth trip. I went from going with two or three preachers, down to two, down to one, down to just me this time. So I was more or less terrified. And uh, the country, if you're not familiar with it, as you can see on the map there, is about a thousand miles from top to bottom. That actually doesn't quite show the bottom part of the country. But we did some work uh, up near the top there. You can see Sargoon and Cartagena. Cartagena is where all the tourists come in from the United States or Europe and pay $300 a night for room. Uh, the places we go, rooms are usually $15 a night, so that gives you a little contrast. That's with air. There are 12 without. Um, so I pay the extra $3. I'd pay it out of my own pocket if I had to. You're near the equator, so it's hot all the time. Uh, you, it's never below 85, I don't think, in the daytime while I'm there. So it's, it's a real privilege to go there. We worked in Cartagena a little bit. Uh, because the church in Anderson supports a preacher there, helps support him, uh, we went to check on him, see how those congregations were doing. Sagun is a place that I've gone every time I've been. Sarate, there's another little congregation, actually three or four surrounding it. Uh, drop on down to the middle of the country and you'll see Bogota. If you watch the drug prevention shows on TV, you'll see that airport a lot. El Dorado, they're constantly catching people coming through there with uh, suitcases full of cocaine. Uh, it's a really nice place. It's about the size of New York City. Huge, huge airport. And so I had an agreement with my uh, translator that his father, who is also a preacher, uh, would meet me there and, and I would know how to get around them once I got there. So I was looking forward to that. Um, we also, towards the end of the trip, went on down to Vigigar Zone there at the very bottom of the screen and worked a little at uh, Jumbo right before we left. So those are the locations. I'm, that doesn't help a lot, but gives you a little context. That's about a thousand mile stretch. We did a lot of flying. Bogota is like Atlanta to us. It's the hub. You fly in and out of there. If you want to go anywhere in the country, that's where you start. So that was how the trip went. I got to that airport and uh, I got there at about 7, 7.30 in the evening. And of course you're <laughs> shuffled immediately to immigration and I go through all of that. I check in. Uh, that takes a long time. I go through the next set of doors. There's going to be somebody waiting. No, there isn't. 
And so I went and I collected my luggage. Well, he'll be on the other side of that. No, he wasn't. And then there's another check before you can go into the country and he'll be on the other side. Next thing I know, I'm standing at the door that goes outside into a city of nine million and I don't have anybody there with me. And I'm pretty much unraveled at that point. So I said, okay, Vernon, you gotta calm down, go sit down, find a way to get on Wi-Fi. I managed to connect to the free Wi-Fi and immediately my phone started blowing up and it was my translator's sister. Translator is an MBA student, a very successful person, especially by Colombian standards. He's been over in Dubai working on his MBA. He didn't make it back. He's stuck in Paris. So she says, let us know when you get to Pereira and we'll come pick you up. Use this phone number. I said, I don't know anything about getting to Pereira. I don't have tickets and I don't know where to get them. She said, you already have a ticket. He bought it for you. Well. I never received that message. So finally I get a uh, QR code and I go and, and found a little girl that didn't speak any English and my Spanish is pretty poor. But we got it done and I got on an airplane. We arrived at Pereira, which is on the no-fly zone for American travelers, I might add. Uh, I went there two times before I knew that. I wish I still didn't know it. I don't know why I looked it up. Um, got in there about 11.30 at night. The Wi-Fi doesn't work in that airport, so I can't get all of them. Well, I'll go get my luggage. And this is only a city of one million. It's about like Indianapolis. Um, I'll go out the door and I'll find him somewhere. And so as I was going out the door, his brother walked up to me and I recognized him. So we got a good start. Uh, about an hour drive to the hotel. Um, he was going to have to translate for me instead of his brother. He's not near as accomplished as a translator as Santiago is. And so we were up at 1.30 in the morning, go over my lessons so that he could figure out how to say what I was saying in Spanish and they could appreciate it. This is where the church meets there, where Santiago's family goes. His father is a preacher there along with three other preachers, all paid for by Colombian people. That's an exceptional congregation. Really appreciate those people. They've started three or four congregations in the villages around there. It's in the coffee region in the mountains. So it's a gorgeous, cool place to be. It's the only cool place I've found in, in Colombia. Otherwise, it's hot. So uh, I spoke there the next morning, and we did a little sightseeing then around the, that afternoon and got to see. Um, that's just showing you what the land looks like around there. It's gorgeous. Three years ago when I was there, there was a little group met at a house and wanted to discuss the possibility of a starting a church. And they wanted a lesson on what it takes to start a church, which I found out five minutes before I was supposed to speak. So that was a bit of a challenge, but we got through it and talked about the churches in the book of Acts and how they started. And so they seemed really excited about it. And they must have been because now three years later, there are about 40 of them. They've rented the upstairs of this building. You can see the room there. It's just an empty chamber, but that's where they meet. Uh, terribly noisy on city streets. That's pretty typical there. And uh, you never know when you'll need a washing machine. I, don't, I just couldn't resist putting You see everything being hauled on a motorcycle, including up to five people at a time. Um, it's crazy. I've seen women riding down the street with an umbrella, riding with one hand. I ride a motorcycle. I don't think I could do that. I, I don't know how you accomplish all the functions you have to, but that's what was going on. So the next morning we leave from there. That was really all we accomplished there. And I was so glad because I was exhausted. I really needed some rest. We took off from there and we flew to Cartagena. During the night, Santiago had arrived from Paris. 
And so we're together, and he tells me that his dad is going with us. I said, that's really unusual. He doesn't leave his area of work. He just won't do it. He's so dedicated that he doesn't vacation. He doesn't do anything but work. And uh, he said, I need him with me to control you. Well, that did sort of end up being true because uh, he had not gotten time off from work and he had not gotten time off from his studies. So he was up all night every night studying and working. He works for a Chinese company that's similar to Uber. Uh, he's in control of five nations. So, yeah, I mean, he's no slouch. He's a smart young man. He's also single and in his late 20s. And I'll show you a picture in a little bit for those of you that might be interested. Um, he hates when I say that. <laughs> he would probably throw something at me if he was here. Um, so we got to have his dad, who is a powerful preacher in his own right. Uh, I tell you, it's really something when you can listen to somebody preach in a foreign language. And you don't have any idea what they're saying, but you want to do it. That's how exciting a preacher he is. And I've met a couple guys like that. He's just a powerhouse. And we had a lot of good Spanglish conversations where we learned from one another and talked about things uh, that are going on in the church and going on in the world. Very careful Bible student, and it was great to have him along with us. We flew into Cartagena, and uh, it's a city with a lot of history. If you are familiar with the Inquisition, that's where the Inquisition headquarters were. Uh, I learned this time that they were having a mini ice age during that period of time. I was not aware. Um, and so they were experiencing climate change, and they blamed it on the witches, which were some of the people that they took and put them on the rack and tortured them until they admitted they were witches, and then they killed them. Um, but that was their way of dealing with climate control, not all that dissimilar from ours. Um, in the area of Cartagena, Javier, uh, who we helped support, and Liliana and their little daughter Nicole, they have another child on the way now are just a really nice young couple. Uh, he preaches in about four cities, plus he street preaches a lot. At the south side of Cartagena, which is a huge city, I forgot to look and see how big it is, but it's bigger than Indianapolis. Uh, there's a huge roundabout when you come into the poverty-stricken south edge of town. And he often gets out there in the morning, at five in the morning, when the buses are loading for people to go to work, and he's got his speaker that says, call him this wide, and he is blasting the gospel. Not long ago, the police came and said, look, you've got to stop doing that. You're driving people crazy. And as they were hauling him away, the people came out of the shops and tackled the police and said, don't take him away. We like hearing that in the morning. So he got some defense. That was, he does really good work. Um, first night I was there, there was a death in the church. And so um, we didn't assemble, but a few of us did meet at a house. They said just to talk. They always say that. It's a lie. Uh, it, they always want a lesson. You're going to talk for 10 or 15 minutes and then they ask what you're going to talk about. So you have to have something ready to go. I've learned to just carry a handful of lessons in the back of my Bible and be prepared at a moment's notice to speak about anything. Um, that's the little building they meet on in there where the, the white building and that black water down the street is exactly what you think it is. It's black water, open sewer. Uh, they have flush toilets, but they flush into the middle of the street and it runs down the street. So it's, it's pretty depressing at times and the children are often sick. Um, great group, great to work with. Had a couple of private studies there. Also got to visit another place where he speaks called Arjona. Arjona is coming a real hard time. Several members have recently died. Um, 
and moved away, and so they were down to five members. They pay 100 a month for their building. They were looking for somebody to support their building for them. And of course, you know, that puts you in a bad spot when you're about serving needy saints and spreading the gospel. I just had to tell them, I understand and I feel your pain, but that's third place. And that gave us a real opportunity to discuss how great the Lord's plan is that it's so simple. What does it take to have a church? You ever think about that? What do you really need? Well, you need a Bible, right? I can't. I get in trouble for having two little of Is that better? Sorry about that. That does sound better. <laughs> you need a Bible. You need somebody to teach. What else do you need? Some grape juice and some bread. You can have a church almost anywhere, can't you? And I encourage them that way. And I think we need to think about that sometimes. We, we get busy with our programs and our way we're going to get something done. And you know, just that simplicity of the gospel, sit down with that Bible and open it up. Um, they seemed greatly encouraged by that. My theme for this year was, He is able. I knew they were discouraged. I knew the churches had struggled just like churches here did. Uh, they lost members. They didn't assemble uh, as regularly as they sh- Their government restrictions were way tighter than ours and still are. Encountered a lot of discouragement. In every place we went, they said we were the first ones back since the pandemic. I was amazed at that. Tell you the truth, I didn't want to go. I'd gotten rather discouraged over things myself. But I kept getting these messages. When are you coming back? We need help. When are you coming? So I finally decided I would go. I contacted Calvin Slayball, which was my mentor when we started. I don't know if you know him. He's up in Shipshawana. And uh, he said, I don't think you can go yet. I said, well, I'm going to try, and I'll let you know what happens so you'll know what to do next, brother. And it turned out to be pretty easy. About a month before I went, I came down with COVID, which turned out to be a great advantage because they had changed the rules and they're still this way now. If you've had COVID in the last 90 days, you don't have to test negative to get back into the United States. So all I needed was a paper from my doctor saying he's well now. And so that was a great advantage. They didn't want to accept the paper. I just kept pushing it back at him and finally they took it and stamped my ticket and I came home to the United States. So that, that was great. Um, I talked there about crossing Jordan in Arjona. It's a message that I wrote that I have preached everywhere I've been, and if we had time, I'd preach it for you tonight. It's my favorite message to preach. It talks about the people going across Jordan and following that box, the ark. You know what was in it. The Word of God was in it. And the Lord said, you need to follow because you've not been this way before. And I thought, what a picture of our lives. Follow the word of God because you've not been this way before. And I'm going to do amazing things. And isn't that the way we live as Christians? If we follow the word, amazing things happen. Uh, You're welcome to steal that lesson if you want, John. I see you writing. (laughs) Road signs are a little different there. You see some animals we don't normally see here. Uh, Almost had a wreck once because of a six-foot-long iguana. 
we were running at a high rate of speed and it ran out in front of us. This is Albert. Albert lives in Montalivano. Um, some of the members here help support him, by the way. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, we have a little group that pools some money each month and we get him. Recently, it's been running between four and $500 a month, which is not quite enough, but uh, if anybody else wants to join the group, you'd be welcome to do that. Just let me know afterwards. Um, Albert is fearless. Two times since I've been home, there has been an armed strike, is what it translates to in English. The latest one was last Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And what that means for us is there was a criminal that was, I can't think of the word. When, Extradited, thank you very much. <laughs> She's my memory, in case you don't know that. He was extradited to the nine to the United States so he could face charges, and that made the guerrillas upset. And so what they do when they get upset is they tell everybody, you will stay home or we will shoot you. And it's so effective that the police and the soldiers won't even go out in the streets when that's going on. I saw many videos of vehicles burning in the last week. Um, where they just catch somebody out. If they didn't kill them, they at least burnt their vehicle to the ground. And they shot a lot of people. During that time, Albert went out and preached at two churches on Sunday morning. He usually makes it to three or four, so I guess actually he was a little scared, but I, I don't understand. It makes me so ashamed of myself. I, I know there's times in my life when I have not told friends about the gospel because of fear of losing a friend or fear of ridicule. And looking back at that, I just think, how could I not take somebody like that and make an example for myself of the way I ought to be? Ignacio is his uncle. In Montalibano, there's a, an established church there. And from that place, uh, Albert travels. He sometimes speaks there, but more often he goes out and hits three or four little congregations out in the jungle, uh, little tiny villages on a Sunday. He's been advised by other preachers to stop doing that, uh, that there's not that much success there. But he, he just keeps saying, well, what happened to these little churches if I quit? So He's a really good friend. On Sunday, we were, or Saturday actually, we were able to get away from there uh, for a couple of days and go to Sagun. Sagun is a, an unusual place. I've talked to you about it before, if you remember when I was here before. Artenio was the preacher there. Artenio was a Pentecostal preacher, got to listening to Church of Christ radio, figured out he was not teaching the truth, uh, started a Church of Christ and brought most of his congregation with him. And... Um, over the years has disassociated himself from, um, shall we say, institutional churches, brethren, and uh, is, has been standing for the truth for a long time. He started several churches around Saagun. This is also in a red zone that, that you're not supposed to travel in. Um, that church has suffered great loss. He died in 2021 after receiving his COVID shot. We don't know if there's any connection or not, but he did pass away. The previous year, while I was down there, you may remember this if you followed that trip, Eduardo uh, was shot by the guerrillas. 
Eduardo was the richest person in the church and quite a leader in the church. He taught the teenagers a lot. He did a lot of good works there. Uh, they, he had a little hardware store. They came in his hardware store and demanded money and he wouldn't give it to them. He went to the police instead and the next morning they came back and shot him in the head. About five months later they came back and shot his wife in the head. And at that point they scattered his five children around the country with relatives in order to protect them because they said once they start on a family they will not stop. So can you imagine a group of 35 or 40, and those three people now, their leaders pretty much, had, were gone in a period of a year. And so when I got there, I was not looking forward to seeing Artenio's widow. Um, she met me at the door and uh, cried for a long time. And my shirt was soaking wet when she was done. And so we go in to sit down, and, and she makes us a cup of coffee, and, and I think, I'm going to hear about Artenio and how she misses him. I didn't hear a word about that. What I heard about was her concern for the church, and how the church had stumbled since those three people had died. And the men were fussing about who was in charge, but nobody was really doing anything. Nobody was taking a lead. And so it, it was just a really, um, it was a discouraged group. You could see it in everybody's face. So we were able to talk to them about those kind of things. We talked about the need to step up. On Sunday morning, I preached about Esther and how she was placed in a situation that was fearful and she didn't know what to do, but maybe it was time for her to do something, she was told. And that's what I told them. It's time for you all to do something. I know there isn't anybody here that could fill Artenio's shoes. I don't want to try to fill his shoes. He was a wonderful man. But every one of you can pick a task that he used to do, and you can do that. And this church can get back on its feet. The church is the pillar of the truth, and your neighbors are not going to know what the truth is if you all don't stand up and speak out. And I'm saying the same thing to you today. I'm so impressed with this congregation, and I have been for years. You've got some wonderful leaders here. But it could change, and it can change faster than you think it can change. And you young guys especially, you need to be thinking, what can I do to keep this work going, especially if there's nobody to lead? As George Jones used to sing, who's going to fill their shoes? <laughs> he didn't like the old country music going away. So we studied there. I had an epiphany while we were worshiping that morning. I don't know why I never thought about this before. It always gives me great pleasure to think about we're worshiping in another place at approximately the same time that they're worshiping back in Anderson, Indiana, and we're taking communion together. We're just several hundred miles apart. But I got to thinking this morning about there are 24 time zones around the world. So if we all worship at the right time, about every 24 hours, there's another group of Christians somewhere in the world taking communion. You ever think about that? The Lord is being praised through communion all around the clock for 24 hours. Wow. That may not impress you, but I'm kind of a slow person, and I thought that was a pretty cool thought for me. <laughs> oh, that was my translator standing up there in the middle, or the left-hand, right-hand picture. I get confused looking at it that way. Yeah, he's the right-hand picture, the young guy. Uh, he 
takes his time off to travel with me for three Sundays, two solid weeks, uh, won't take a penny for helping. Um, and I may, maybe you all don't know this, I received from your group, thank you for the support. But when I got to Columbia, a person in Columbia who re- chooses to remain anonymous paid almost all my expenses while I was there. So I still have most of the money you gave me. The elders said keep it and, and try to go again and, and do what you can with it that way. So it'll either be used that way or if I can't get back there, I'll use it to support preachers there. But thank you all for that. Thank you for your help. When that was over, uh, this is the backyard at Artenio's house, the older preacher that passed away. And he had this thatch roof shelter, which has now been replaced with a new one, where his wife and his daughter would cook big dinners for all the church people nearly every Sunday. And they had not done that since the pandemic started. And in the two days that we were there, they went from just really depressed and discouraged to having a dinner together And there was such joy in the faces of those people. It was fun to see. And as we were leaving, um, the preacher's widow, Doris, told me that the men had agreed to meet on Monday night and they were going to discuss and plan their work for the rest of the year. So I don't know. I hope they pull that all back together. That's a really, um, that church is a real strength in that area and supports a lot of little churches as well. When we left there, that was Sunday. We typically hit four churches on that middle Sunday. Uh, It's a lot of driving, a lot of high speed, um, moving around to get that done. But we went to four churches that day. And the fella on the right-hand side of that picture in the white shirt is Albert. He's the one, the fearless one that I told you about that travels around on the motorcycle. This is his area of work. He had told me before we got down there that he was thinking about selling his motorcycle, which the church in Anderson bought for him, in order to build a building for some new group. And I even reprimanded him a little bit for it. I said, I just don't see how that's wise for your work. How are you going to continue your work? And I didn't get a response. So obviously there was a language problem. Um, Turns out these three or four villages that he preaches in, In the middle of that area, right in the middle of it, he had an aunt die that left a home to him with a small plantain uh, farm. And on the side of that house, he was building a a room, the full length of it, and trying to bring these four groups together in order to form one good-sized church so they can do the work. And nobody has to travel more than about 15 minutes to get there. Uh, That felt like providence to me. You can call it whatever you want because you can't ever prove that providence is is from God. But uh, I was excited to see that. And I understood then when I got there that it was his old motorcycle that he had wrecked that he sold and got materials to build this building. So then I felt dumb. But I told you before, I'm kind of slow. The fellow on the left-hand side of that picture, his name's Vladimir. Uh, he hosts the church in Rabo Largo. I've, I've preached there a couple times. They worship in his backyard. That's an extremely poverty-stricken neighbor, neighborhood. Um, the kitchen shelves, I wouldn't call them cabinets, are made out of branches off of trees. And I mean, there's not even any lumber in the place. So. Those are plantain bushes. I, if you want to know, those come up four times a year. And plantains are a starchy food. I'm, 
I didn't know about all this, but you can feed a lot of people off of those. They come up and they produce fruit four times a year and they're huge and there's literally hundreds of them on each plant. So a uh, very good way to get your energy to feed your kids. And then we went down to a, a place along the, the river there where he's been visiting. There's not a church there. There's just this tin roof shelter where he met some people one day and talked to them about the Bible. And they said, why don't you come back and teach us the Bible? So he gets five to 10 people uh, every Thursday and they study the Bible there together. So we spoke there on Sunday afternoon and there were, it's right against the road. People were coming and going the whole time. And when we were done, there were 50 people still there. Uh, we passed out a lot of information to people. He's been having now 10 to 12 every time and he's had a couple baptisms there since we were there. So uh, things are moving. He's, there are people being converted in South America. That was the shelter we were sitting there between a very polluted river and the highway. That's an airplane. We had to leave there. <laughs> when we were done that Sunday with all of those places that we went, um, we went back to uh, Monteria, got on an airplane, flew back to Bogota, spent the night in a hotel, and then moved to another part of the country to start the next week. So that was exciting. We went down to Villa Garzon. Villa Garzon is on the very south part of the nation. It's on the edge of the jungle. If you remember from the map, it's way down there at the bottom. It is right next to Peru. And it's in, it's in the drug country. I mean, the highway into town has guys carrying AK-47s. When you get into town, there's soldiers standing everywhere with automatic rifles. And uh, luckily, Calvin taught me on my first trip, those are the guys that are on our side, so just don't worry about it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like that thought. One runway, one little bitty building right against the edge of the jungle. Uh, there's no radio tire because there's no other plane coming. There's only a plane comes every other day. And that's how you get in and out of there. And then you go into a little house and check with a couple agents and you're on your way. The church down there during the pandemic uh, was mainly comprised of three couples and a few visitors. Uh, the preacher got COVID, young man with two little kids. I mean, five days he was gone, passed away. So it's been really difficult for them. They met in his house. So they lost the house that he was, that they were worshiping in. So they've just been down there really discouraged. All really new Christians, all within the last five years, struggling to keep going. Um, I, I was trying to think, how are we going to encourage these people? I don't know what to say. There's nobody down here. We're away from everybody. There's nobody around. Who's going to help them? Santiago's father that was traveling with us said, I have a sister that lives an hour and a half from here by bus. And I know they have a preacher. Let's see if we can get him to meet us down here. I'm thinking that is too amazing that they didn't know about that. And he came down. Freddie Medino was his name. Um, not a rich guy by any means. He's a gospel preacher and as near as I can tell, faithful from all the checking I've been able to do on him. He came down and met us and preached with us down there. It was a good thing he did because I took ill while I was there. I always do. I lose about a 24-hour day. I 
get on antibiotics right away and I recover, but I get sick every time. Um, he came in and was able to fill in for me while I was there, and, and just like we all do, he fell in love with that group. And he said, I'm going to come once a month, but I'm going to need help. I usually don't ask for money in these things, but if anybody wants to help, that's a $125 a month project. We'll get him on a bus and down there and in a hotel for two or three days and feed him so that he can go down and encourage. And he's agreed to go once a month. So uh, Susan and I paid this month and we're kind of looking for somebody to do that uh, to help him out. Uh, the little boy sitting there in the wheelchair, his name is Sebastian. Um, when I first met him, he couldn't speak at all. And now he's leading communion and leading prayers. Uh, he has to be translated by his father because he's so difficult to understand. But he has been baptized and praise the Lord. He says he wants to preach. I don't know how that's going to work. But as long as his dad's there to help him, I'm, I'm glad to see him doing it. <clears throat> we left there. There's Freddie. I should show you a picture of him first. That's the guy that needs a little bit of help. We left there and went to Cali. When that preacher in that location died, his wife, she says she sinned and the church wouldn't have anything to do with her anymore. And I listened to her story over and over and over and I couldn't hear a sin in it. I think she spent some time on the phone talking to another man after her husband died and raised suspicions is what she did. But it upset everybody and she ended up moving away to be near her sister and to get some support that way, some emotional support. So Callie is in a place called the Valley of Coke. I guess there's no Pepsi there. I don't Maybe that's not what they mean. Actually, two drug cartels, major ones in Colombia. One of them's named after Cali. The other one's named after Medellin. You've probably heard those names before. Um, 20 minutes away is the town of Jumbo where they live. And we went over there. Um, those are Vanessa's children on either side of me there. And the preacher's little boy in the red shirt who jumped into every picture we took. So. He hugged me like he was my grand, his grandpa or something. Vanessa has uh, struggled to move ahead. The Anderson Church is helping her as well right now. Uh, she's going to beauty school, trying to get her life together. She'll graduate in July, and she's trying to get a beauty shop set up in her the front of her house so she can stay home and take care of her children. Quite a challenge. They don't get the aid that we get here from the government. And so um, uh, she's near as I can tell she's doing wonderfully but it was another widow that I had to soak up a lot of tears from I talked in their worship service about not letting anyone stand alone I've been so struck in the last couple of years by people that stand alone you ever, do you ever just look around after services and you're all abuzz and you're having your good time. But inevitably, there are two or three people off on the fringe that are standing alone or sitting alone and nobody's talking to them. 
And I've made it my habit down there to go over and to try to talk to that person, which is ridiculous in itself because I know so little Spanish and they know so little English. But we figure some things out and we have some laughs and we hug each other and go on. And that power of the human touch and the human attention is so great. When I... When I was young, I would listen to guys talk about the trips they went on. And I, I would always say, what can I do to help? I've got kids and I've got a job and I, I can't go and do what you've got to do. And they always would tell me this sometimes. There are things you can do to help spread the kingdom. One of them is stay home and work and support the guys that can go. <laughs> so I understand that's where a lot of people are in their life. But I'll tell you another thing you can do in this community. Don't let anybody stand alone. And that doesn't have to apply just to church either, does it? You see a guy sitting in a restaurant, maybe with a Bible in front of him. I've seen that before. We have a member in our church because one of our ladies went over and sat down and said, do you understand what you're reading? That's biblical, isn't it? <laughs> and actually, he's a Christian and they're married now. Uh, but not letting anybody stand alone. In Ecclesiastes, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We need to hold one another up. And we need to pay attention to our brothers and sisters, even the ones we think are strong. Just because they were strong last year does not mean they're strong this year. There's so many ways you can help now in... Mission type work. Opportunities that nobody before us ever even imagined. With Google Translate, you can communicate with somebody. You don't have to know the language. Sometimes it's a challenge to puzzle it out exactly what they're saying, but you'll get it. And if not, tell them you don't understand and they'll write it differently. We do that all the time. I'm going to leave you with this thought. I've told you about two widows tonight. I was so struck with the appropriateness and the wisdom of Scripture as I thought about those two widows. The first one, an elderly woman, lost her husband, had to leave the church for four months to go to another town and have a surgery and recover, and comes back and finds the church in shambles. And her concern is not for herself, but for the church. The other widow is young and has two small children. And you know what every concern she told me was about? I am lonely. I don't have anyone to help me raise these children. You ever think about what the Bible says about taking on a widow for the church to support? If she's done good deeds and she's elderly and she's done all of these things, then yes, you can take her on as support. But that younger widow, she needs to find a way to live a more normal life. She needs to look for someone to marry. In other words, in my mind, that's saying she needs to put her life back together and move on because she's still young. And that applies so perfectly to those two widow ladies that I have. You know what else that word applies to? It applies to every one of us. I know you've got problems in your life. 
I'm almost certain there's somebody here that feels like they're at the end of their rope and they're barely hanging on. But the Lord has the wisdom you need to pull your life back together. And he has the strength that you need to get through this life. And so when we preach the lesson that we preached over and over down there, that he is able, look up the words in your New Testament. He is able or Jesus is able. There's only about eight or ten of them. They make a wonderful lesson to encourage you. He is able to make you stand. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to get you out of sin, and by doing so, He makes a way of escape for you. He can do what we need in our lives. So if you need the Lord tonight, I would encourage you not to leave this place without asking who you need to talk to here to get some counsel from the Word of God so that you can have the God who is able to do what we cannot do with our own lives. Thank you for your kind attention. We would stand as we'll sing 195, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Amen. <clears throat>